uh, stay standing as we go before God in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to praise your name today. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice for us, the love you showed us on the cross to bring us peace. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just uh, speak to us, move in us, not just today, but throughout this week. We know that you're here. We know that you're in our heart. But I ask that you would make yourself abundantly clear and known to us so that we could listen and hear and respond in obedience. Lord, for anyone who's, who's hurting or struggling today, I, I just ask for peace. Lord, your word tells us that you can give us a peace that passes understanding. God, your word implies that you yourself are the prince of peace. And Jesus, you said that if we were weary or if we were heavy laden, that you would give us rest. God, I pray for those today grieving the loss of loved ones. God, that you would bring comfort and peace, but also bring the, the ability to, to mourn and grieve just, just as we're supposed to do. God, for those who are burdened with worry over the health of those in their family, their loved ones, or even their own body, we ask God for peace as well. We ask for rest, and we even ask for healing. We ask for you to heal those in our lives who we love, who are suffering, God, that they would come to find peace and healing in you. God, as we wrestle with uncertainty, if it comes to our jobs or our places that we live, our finances, our bills that are on our counter that we have to walk home to today. I pray, Lord, that you'd provide. God, help, help us to be faithful with, uh, with all things, with our time, our energy, our relationships, even our, even our work and our finances, God. And we pray that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. God, I pray you'd pour out blessings upon us until we have no more need. And God, help us to know what our needs are and help us to know the difference between those and our wants. Thank you for all that you give. Everything comes from you. God, bless this time that we have today. Help us to hear just a word of encouragement and challenge and hope from your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Um, thank you, Kim. Uh, thank you again for coming. Welcome to Free Church. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as well. Um, I just have two brief announcements for you, and I want to introduce some friends that we have with us for the next uh, two weeks, and then I'm going to come back up and open up officially our, our series on Daniel today. So kind of during these next couple minutes, if you want to open up your Bible or your app to the book of Daniel, you can do so. Um, we have all the notes on our app as well, some of the verses we're reading. If you'd like some of the uh, detailed charts or maps or notes we'll use today, let me know. I can get those to you as well. Um, but outside of just reading scripture, one thing I just ask that you do is um, you all sacrificed um, this, you know, 90 minutes to two hours of coming and going from church um, today, and I want you to get the most out of it. So if you, have, if you do have a phone, if it's not involved in reading scripture, if you just want to put that away for a while, um, Snapchat can wait. Um, your your uh, potential date that you're looking for, he can wait, she can wait. Um, spend this time pressing into God. This is this short time in our week that we can devote wholly to him. Uh, announcement I have is that Easter is coming. Um, sounds wild, 
It's February. My windshield was frozen this morning, but Easter is coming. And for the last two years, we've done a, a downtown Easter egg hunt outreach where we partner with businesses downtown and we um, station eggs all throughout our downtown core and we interact with our community, give maps to the people in our community to walk and find these eggs. They're not really hidden, but it just kind of encourages um, being present uh, in our downtown area and encourages um, shopping at local businesses and then it's a great way for us to minister to people, bless people, meet people, and invite people to church on Easter. And so the reason I'm mentioning it is because we need eggs And so here's what I I need you to do. If you can hear my voice this morning, if you're present with us, if you're watching online, would you pray that you can lay as many eggs between now and Easter as possible? We need need all the eggs. So start laying. Um, Please go home before you lay. Um, It might be disruptive here in the service. Um, But if you could go home and just sit in your, um, your little hen roost or whatever they call it, if you just start, start laying eggs. We need lots of eggs. We need over 10,000 um, hen house. Hen house, yes. Yeah. Plastic eggs. Please don't bring real eggs. Please, please make sure they are made of plastic. Okay, so plastic eggs. We need lots of plastic eggs, and um, you can bring those to our lobby after you have laid them, and you can put those in the baskets in the back. And we also need individual bite-sized candy that we can stuff into the eggs and if you could bring that as well, that'd be awesome. If you're like, hey, I'm not, I, I have used up all my eggs. I can't lay anymore. I can't buy any more candy. You can give money, and we'll tell you next week how you can give money specifically to buy pre-stuffed eggs so we don't have to stuff them. And so we need lots of eggs. And I, here's something um, I'm prompted to ask you to do this morning is if you feel in your heart that you want to bring peeps um, to be involved in Easter in any way, um, that's the devil's candy. <laughs> Don't bring it. It is. Uh, it has actually been created to distract us from the resurrection of Jesus, and so we don't need peeps. If you like peeps, um, we're going to have a laying on of hands after our service today, <laughs> and ask that the Lord deliver you um, from your. This is you're you're eating cow bones that have been turned into um, a rat. It's just gross. You're disgusting. If you like peeps. So don't, br- don't bring peeps. But bring lots of candy, bring lots of plastic eggs. We need them. And then we'll have our service times for Easter pretty soon um, so you know when to invite people to join you. Um, so in, in church community, in church family, we, we celebrate Easter. We make jokes about peeps. But we do serious things together too. We, uh, we celebrate um, new birth, literal new birth. And we have um, child dedications coming up soon. Um, we get to do things like walk couples through... Um, getting married and marriage ceremonies and celebrations. We get to baptize people to show their new faith in Jesus. We get to go through these exciting times in life, but we also go through difficult times with people. Um, this week, um, just uh, myself, uh, uh, my wife, some of, our, some of our leaders here had to just interact with a lot of people who are hurting, who are sick, who are having surgery, but also ones who have lost loved ones as well um, this week. And I wanted to, um, share because she asked me to and gave me permission to, but Julia Laris, she is our connections director and our great friend here at Free Church. She lost her father, Nikolai, on Wednesday. And, um, thank you. She wants to thank you for your prayers and support you've offered for her these last couple of days and for her and Abraham and their children. Um, but she wanted me to invite her church family, uh, to her father's memorial service. And if you'd like to come and support her or the family, that will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, here at Free Church. So tomorrow at 10 a.m. Um, 
we're going to join together with her family and some, some different churches in the community that are involved with her family and celebrate the life of her father. Um, there's a graveside service following at 1 p.m. at Independence, and um, she said she'd like to invite her church family to come. So that's tomorrow at 10. If, if you could make it and support her, that'd be, that'd be really fantastic. And so those are my announcements for you today. Um, and as I mentioned, we have some friends that are here today, um, Chiago and Danny De Silva. We originally, some of our... Uh, members of our church family were going to be in Brazil, actually, these last couple of weeks. Um, but Tiago and Danny, they themselves did not go back to Brazil, and so we did not go to Brazil on our own. Instead, they came to us, and Tiago uh, is going to make us a Brazilian barbecue. Not you, just my family. <laughs> and so he's bringing Brazil to us. So, yeah, I wanted to rub it in. So a um, couple things. They're, they're hosting a class on Saturday here at Free Church from 1 to 5. It's called Word by Heart. They're going to share ways to share Scripture through story. And Danny will come up in a minute. She'll show you what that looks like, what the finished product is. And we want to invite you to that. Um, we ask that you register on our app to attend that class. If, if you don't get around to registering, you can just still come. Um, the class is $10, but we actually ask that you give a lot more than $10 for that class because this is going to go to support their ministry. And um, they'll share with us over the next couple weeks where God is leading them next. And so if you could be in prayer for them and support them. And we also are looking for people, uh, they'd like to make some, some ministry partners. They're looking for people that they might want to have coffee or lunch or dinner with over the next week or two because they're going to be with us until the 20th to share their hearts for what they're doing, but really just get to know people. And we, we need to bless them and host them. And I'd love it if, if you would um, maybe chat with them after the service and see if there's a time that you could get together with them and bless their family um, as they're a fantastic family. So with all that being said, um, Chiago and Danny, uh, you guys want to come up and join me? You guys give them a hand and they're going to share with you this morning. Then you should go through here. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, hello, my name is Thiago. Danny, or Dada Alan, is like down there having fun and play with the kids. So I'm Brazilian. She's like from Oregon, like Jefferson somewhere, middle of Jefferson. So we are like very happy to be here. Uh, that's like is the church that we chose to, to be members when we were here like maybe two or three years ago. Uh, before the pandemic that uh, we came to have like uh, three years ago because we came to have our daughter here. So thank you for the invitation to come and I'm very happy to see some friends, to see some new face. And yeah, uh, Daniel are going to share some stories. And after that, I will explain, explain like a little bit what's the word by heart, what's going to be the training. And, but I, I just want to say thank you again because we feel that we are part of that church. And I was a little bit sick, and I was, like, worried, like, because we were planning to stay somewhere, and, and plans, like, changed, but, like, the pastor just came to me, no, we are, we are going, like, to put you in a hotel, relax, like, don't, don't worry about that. So we just feel very loved by the pastor, and by, because I, I don't know that he did that, but, like, it's a church thing. And somebody from the church, church went there, uh, gave, like, a goodies, some, like, snacks and that kind of stuff. So every time when we come here, we feel like very loved. 
So somebody like let us like choose the car. So thank you guys, and she's going to tell, tell some stories. Then Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said, no, Lord, we don't know the way. We have no idea where you are going. How could we possibly know the way? But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. If you truly knew me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. But Jesus said, have I not been with you this entire time, Philip, and yet you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his works through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works that you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works, for I am returning to the Father. Ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can give glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. For I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit and he prunes every branch of mine that does bear fruit so that it will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it, if it is severed from the vine. So you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I tell you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment, that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Yeah, like, uh, she's amazing, but the word of God's amazing. Like, what, what she did, she just, like, tell some Bible stories uh, word by word as, like, in the Bible. We do use, like, the NLT version for that stories that she did. But, like, uh, the training that we are going to do is, like, a seminar or workshop or something like that. It's going to be, like, next Saturday. And you're going to learn, like, one Bible story by heart. But of course, you're gonna you're gonna know like each word of that story. And first, like when I did the the training, I did in Brazil, so I do have like the book of Luke. And one of the things that in the book of Luke, like in the beginning, uh, Luke say he he just say like uh, a lot of people just try to to uh, investigate what was happening. And I did the same in like. 
through the eyewitness, I figured out and like I decided to write you like detailed like what happened. So Luke was trying to find people that saw because Luke was not one of the twelve disciples, and just asked the people to tell their stories, and he he just started to write down their stories. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna teach you how to tell a story as you were there and you saw what happened. So what would be your reaction if you could see like the man in the synagogue that was like with the hand like just that way and Jesus just asked him and the hand just a poof, come back to the normal. So like how, how would you tell that story to somewhere? So what I like about that training that bring life to the world. And we can see what are the feelings, what are like the reaction. We usually say that the Bible stories is like an iceberg. We can see just the top part, just the what like the little part, but it's a lot of deep things happen that sometimes in a reading we can't realize. So it's gonna be like Saturday the training. You are like more than welcome to, to come if you want to invite somebody that like the idea. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be like a Bible study that you're going to sit down and we're going to teach or something. It's going to be a fun time. So we, go, we have games. We have. It's like the way that we learn, one of the things that we learn, like with joy, you can learn like a lot. So maybe you guys who are going to do some dramas like and fun stuff. So be ready. And yeah, you're more than welcome to come next week. Thank you. Okay, Daniel is what we're going to be looking at um, for the next seven weeks, and I'm going to jump right in. Um, last year, we ended a series that was called the Exodus Journey, where we were just simply looking at um, literally the exodus of the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt at the hands of Moses. And we followed the story up into the point of them arriving at the land of Canaan, which God had promised to them. And Joshua, the predecessor, or not the predecessor, Moses was the predecessor of Joshua. Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan, just as God had asked. And so um, throughout this series, it is so dependent upon history, history that we learn from Scripture history that we learn from extra biblical sources and archaeology. And so if you like that kind of thing, this series is just fantastic. And the book of Daniel is absolutely, in the Old Testament, my, my favorite book of the Bible. And so we're looking at the first six chapters because the first six chapters of Daniel is the story and the account of Daniel in Babylon. And the remaining chapters are the prophetic chapters of this book. And we will allude to those because it all comes together, but our focus will be on the events of the life of Daniel and how it relates to us. And when you leave, you're going to see two big themes that show up in this book, and they relate very much to us today. And so we find ourselves in the story, Israel making it to the land of Canaan, following their exodus from slavery. Now, the nation of Israel had descended from a man named Abraham. And Abraham was a man who God promised to him that he would make a nation out of his descendants and that through the nation that God was making through Abraham, that the entire world, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And if we look at the entirety of Scripture, 
uh, we can see that the blessing that God promised to Abraham was given and revealed and received in the person of Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Israel, a descendant of Abraham. But a lot of time would pass between Israel's arrival in the land and the birth of Jesus Christ in that same land. A lot would transpire during these 1,300 or so years. And the things that transpired showed Israel, and it shows to us how far you and I fall short continuously of God's expectations. These 1,300 years of Israel's history shows us our constant need to put God first in our lives, and it shows us just how much we need God to save us from our sins. And so as Israel was preparing to enter that land, and once they did enter that land, through the prophet Moses, through the leader Joshua, God warned the people of what would happen if they did not continue to follow him and if they instead adopted the gods of the nation they were about to dispossess and began to worship those gods instead. And one of those warnings is found in Leviticus chapter 26. In Leviticus 26, God speaks through Moses to the people as we now observe his word to them today. God says to Israel, if you depart from me, if you go after other gods, I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Now, I know all of us, if God warned us of the same thing, I know all of us would be 100% faithful, right? You and I were like, we're always obedient to God. But Israel was a different story, right? Um, They're not as good as we are. And so Israel, they fail at this again and again and again and again. Warning after warning after warning, they go after the other gods and they reject the very God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And awkwardly, we find ourselves in the exact same position, constantly neglecting the warnings and the heeds of God and going our own way and not going God's way all the time. So God would warn them again and again. At first, God would use judges to rule over and to mediate for the people. Amazing characters like Gideon and Samson and Deborah, people who were super obedient to God, right? Have you read through Judges? Like, it's a mess. We're going to study, actually, after Easter, we've got a whole series about just the exemplary life of Samson and how we should live just like him. And so God would use these judges to rule the land for about 300 years. And this was a period of warning, of God's judgment, of rescue at the hands of a judge, of newfound faithfulness, and a repeat of that cycle again and again and again, about every 40 years. But eventually, growing tired of judges, Israel would demand that God give to them a king like all the other nations had. And God told Israel, you guys don't want a king. Because if you get a king, that king, it's going to go to his head. And he's going to send your young men off to war for him. And he's going to amass weapons and horses and women. And he is going to basically steal your wealth. And everything's going to be about the king and not about me and not about you. 
And they're like, we're good, God. We want a king anyways. We want to be like the rest of the world. So God relents, and God gives them exactly what they ask for. How many of you are grateful that God doesn't always give us exactly what we ask for? So they ask for a king, and God says, here's a king. And he brings about a man named Saul. His qualification for being a king was literally he was taller than everyone else. And it didn't go well. And so Saul would be replaced by David, Israel's hero, David, who unified the nation as a whole and who solidified Jerusalem as the capital for this nation. But David was a mess, and he was a man after God's own heart. So David would give birth to a son named Solomon. Solomon would be the next in the line of kings of Israel. And Solomon was the wealthiest and wisest man to ever live up to that point, but he did all the things that God warned Israel kings would do if he gave them a king. And he amassed for himself a a great number of women. And uh, guys, if you're single, don't amass for yourself women. One woman is hard enough, okay? You just need one. And pray about that. You're like, maybe, maybe you shouldn't even have one. Uh, but Solomon had like a whole lot more than one, about 1,000. And so he amasses wives and concubines. And as a result, he's taking women from the surrounding nations of the world. And because these women are coming in who serve after foreign gods, it leads the entire nation of Israel into idolatry to chase after foreign gods. And so at Solomon's death, this leads to outright civil war. And it leads to civil war, to a complete separation of Israel into two kingdoms. And the two kingdoms of Israel became Israel to the north, also known as Samaria. That's the region that they inhabited. And then the nation or kingdom of Judah to the south. Judah was predominantly the tribe or the descendants of Judah. And within the borders of Judah was Jerusalem, its capital city where the temple was. And so each kingdom started their own worship to God in their own regions of their own kingdoms after this civil war. But each kingdom would continue on this path of utter disobedience and idolatry with God continuing to warn them over and over again through his prophets of what would transpire if they did not repent of their sin and turn back to him. And so this leads us now, starting with the Exodus, takes place around 1400 BC. The dates are confusing and disputed. Israel finds a king in Saul around 1100 to 1000 BC. And it would be in 922 B.C. that these kingdoms would divide into two out of one. And then we find in the year 722 B.C., 200 years, 200 years since the kingdoms split, God would eventually judge the northern kingdom of Israel for their idolatry and rebellion against God. This would lead to the complete destruction of the kingdom of Israel. And it would lead to the complete exile of the Israelites who lived there, which has lasted until this day. 
And we could go into a lot of rabbit trails, but when you hear about the lost tribes of Israel, it is the northern kingdom of Israel who was dispossessed by Assyria in 722 BC. We do not know where these people went. They were scattered and absorbed throughout the world. And 1 Chronicles 5 tells us that God stirred up Assyria. 1 Chronicles 5 tells us that God uses Assyria as his instrument of destruction and judgment upon the kingdom of Israel. And Assyria was a very, very dark empire. The Assyrians invented crucifixion. Uh, The Assyrians, their capital city was Nineveh, where God sent Jonah, and Jonah did not want to go. This was a bad place with very bad people. And in 1 Kings 17, I don't usually like to read in a sermon a very long passage of Scripture, but this, I can't do this story justice without reading this. And so follow along on the screen behind me. If you're watching online, follow along. 2 Kings 17, verse 7, it says this occurred, the, the judgment of Israel. The judgment, the exile of Israel occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Israelites feared other gods. And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. There's no such thing as sinning in secret, by the way. God sees. Doing things that were not right in secret. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtowers to fortified cities. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim of every high hill and every, every green tree. And they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised God's statutes and the covenant he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave to them. They went after false idols and they became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. So they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and they made for themselves metal images of two calves And they made an Asherah pole, and they worshipped all the host of heaven, and they served Baal. And they burned their sons, and they burned their daughters as offerings to these gods. And they used divination and omens, and they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking the Lord to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. But 
Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, including Judah, and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. And finally, verse 21 says, When God had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. And so Israel was exiled from their own land into Assyria until this day. God has a line that he does not permit people to cross. He warns us. He warns them again and again and again. Do not go after these false gods. I don't know if you caught on, but we actually see where the line is in the sand in this particular account. And it's when people started sacrificing their own children to false gods that God says, that's it. Good thing we don't sacrifice kids today, right? We do. We sacrifice our children and our unborn children on the altars of convenience and false gods just as people have done since day one. And God says, that's too far. That's too much. And so I'm going to cast you out of this land. So God punishes Israel at the hands of this evil nation, Assyria. But then something weird happens. God uses Assyria to judge Israel for their evil. And then God judges Assyria for judging Israel, even though he ordained it. How many of you understand how God works? Hopefully none of us do. So God uses another evil kingdom to judge the evil kingdom that he judged the evil kingdom of Israel for, for doing what he told them to do. And specifically, Scripture tells us that God judges Assyria because they had pride involved as they destroyed Israel. And God would do this very thing at the hands of another empire that we know today as the Babylonian Empire. And he did it 100 years after Assyria besieges Israel. And Babylon would complete their destruction of Assyria with the fall of their capital city of Nineveh in the year 612 B.C. So Israel gets about 400 years. 200 of those, they're divided. Assyria gets another 100 years. But then God brings Babylon to punish Assyria for punishing Israel. And then seven years later, seven years after the destruction of Assyria at the hands of Babylon in 605 BC, a new king comes to power in Babylon. And most of us have heard this name before, but the king of Babylon, his name was Nebuchadnezzar the second. He wasn't actually the second. We could talk about that later, but interesting nonetheless. But he was Nebuchadnezzar the second, also known as Nebuchadnezzar the Great. How many of you would like to have the phrase the great at the end of your name? Probably not the, the most humble thing to do. 
but he is Nebuchadnezzar the Great. And so God then uses Nebuchadnezzar the Greats. On the first year of his reign, God uses Nebuchadnezzar to, this time, he already judged Assyria, and now he's going to use him to judge Judah. Now it's Judah's turn. Now it's the second, it's the second kingdom of, of Israel to fall. It's the southern kingdom of Judah. God now judges Judah by using Babylon to judge Judah for their rebellion and their unwillingness to follow his warnings. And God in Jeremiah 25, God calls Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, God calls him. This evil dictator, Nebuchadnezzar, somehow is the servant of God who is used by God to bring destruction on Assyria, who is used by God to bring destruction on Israel. And in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came knocking on the gates of Jerusalem. And he and his forces entered and they took much of the golden utensils that were used for the worship of Yahweh in the temple of God. And he took the best and the brightest of the land as well as some of the royal family and marched them back to Babylon about a thousand miles away. Daniel 1 verse 1 through 4 says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. That's where we would call Iraq today. Brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, if you are having a boy any time in the near future, write that name down, Ashpenaz, wonderful name, if you'd like to be a Babylonian destroyer. And, um, but Ashpenaz, unfortunately, was a eunuch. It was a chief eunuch. Children, if you would like to know today um, what a eunuch is, ask mom and dad right after church. Look it up. And um, not a good day to be a eunuch. And so the chief eunuch brought some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, and brought some of the youths without blemish, the youths of good appearance, the youths who are skillful in all wisdom, those youths who were endowed with knowledge, the youths who have understanding and learning and that were competent to stand in the king's palace. How many of you are like, I would have been in that group? That's me. The, the good-looking youth of our culture. And if you're like, yes, I think God would have uh, allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take me, you need to humble yourself a little bit. Probably not. And so he takes the best and the brightest and the most attractive, and he marches them back to Babylon to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans trying to look for some young people to make fun of, but I will not. Maybe, okay. So, 605 BC, this happens. Nebuchadnezzar puts a puppet king in charge of Judah in the meantime. And seven years later, he returns in 598 BC. He takes more golden vessels from the temple of the Lord, he takes Judah's current king from Jerusalem, and he takes even more exiles back to Babylon. And he puts another puppet king, 
Zedekiah in the place of the one he removed. And he waits a couple of years. But Zedekiah decides he does not like to be under the siege of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so he returns, Nebuchadnezzar does, in 589 B.C., about nine years later. There's this nine-year window. He returns in 589 B.C. He returns for the third and final time to completely destroy Judah and its capital city of Jerusalem. The siege against Jerusalem, it lasted somewhere between 24 and 36 months. Most historians think it was about a 30-month siege. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds siege walls or ramps of dirt up over the walls of Jerusalem. He cuts off the food supply of Jerusalem because Hezekiah beforehand had built a tunnel that brought water into Jerusalem. You can hike that tunnel today. Um, They had water. They didn't have food. And it was so bad that the people of Judah, they began to eat their own kids. That's a line that you don't cross. In 2 Kings 25, we hear about the destruction. At the end of the 30 months, we know the exact day the city fell. It was on August the 19th, 586 B.C. On August 19th, 586 B.C., Jerusalem had fallen and the temple was completely destroyed. Some of us, um, probably more than half of us, this is even strange to say, it shows how old we are, um, were alive during the September 11th attacks of 2001. And if you can recall, those who were old enough to remember it, if you can recall the significance that the World Trade Center had as an image of America and to watch that fall, how devastating that event was, times that or multiply that times about a million, and that's what the temple was to Jerusalem. And just as we watch these planes crash into the towers and the towers come crashing down in flames, almost as if judgment upon our nation, imagine watching the temple burn to the ground, showing the utter destruction and judgment of this kingdom, which came to an end that day. So verse 6 of 2 Kings 25 says this. Nebuchadnezzar's people captured the king of Judah. His name was Zedekiah. They brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on King Zedekiah. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons in front of his eyes. Then they gouged out the eyes of Zedekiah, and they tied him up in chains and took him to Babylon. These bad people. They wanted the last thing this king would see to be the death of his own sons, and then as a blind man bound in chains, they made him walk a thousand miles to a land that was not his own. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that's August 19th, That was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar. He had been up to this business for 18 years now. The king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and he burned the king's house and he burned all the houses of Jerusalem and he burned every great house. You can see these remains today of the ash from these fires. And all the army of the Chaldeans, this is the ethnicity of the Babylonians, all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, they broke down the walls around Jerusalem. That sets up the story of Nehemiah. 
and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried them into exile. But the captain of the guard let some of the poorest of the land and the vine dressers and the plowmen left them there and let them stay. I was trying to do some research to see how many Judeans were exiled to Babylon. It was a far smaller number than I thought. It was about 15,000 Judeans were exiled. About 150,000 were left, the poorest of the poor, those who had the least amount of knowledge to be able to manage this land. They wanted to manage the land so that that way if Nebuchadnezzar had need of it in the future, it wouldn't be totally laid waste. So some got left behind and some got taken. Babylon then took the final remaining vessels from the temple. Um, You can read the account. There was so much that they took back, and we're going to see this play out in the story of what we call the writing on the wall. And Nebuchadnezzar took the rest of the religious leaders, he took the rest of the national leaders, and he ushered them back to Babylon, and he slaughtered them in front of all their people. God's orchestrating history. So 50 years later, 49 to be exact, 49 years after the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, his God ordained himself. God would then judge Babylon for judging Judah after they judged Assyria for judging Israel. And God would do this at the hands of the Persian Empire, led by a guy you may have heard of before named Alexander, the great leader of the Persian Empire. I'm sorry, Cyrus the Great. We'll get to Alexander in a minute. I got ahead of myself. History guys were like, oh, he got this wrong. So Cyrus the Great leads the battle at the hands of Cyrus the Great. And so in 539 B.C., Babylon fell. It fell at the hands of Cyrus the Great and the Persian Empire, and we'll get to that in a few weeks, and we know the exact date that Babylon fell as well. So what's the point of this story? What's the point of this facts and this history? Over these next seven weeks, I want you to immerse yourself in the story of Daniel. I want you to imagine yourself in the different elements of this story. I want you to imagine yourself being a Jew, a a person of Judah. I want you to imagine yourself being a young teenage boy or a teenage girl taken from your land and exiled into a foreign land. I want you to understand in this book what's going on historically because there is no other book in the Bible that makes you think about history quite like the book of Daniel. And there is two themes, as I said, there's two themes in the book of Daniel that we're going to take these home with us from this series. And the first theme is this that God sovereignly orchestrates and uses human history. God sovereignly orchestrates and uses human history despite what we call free will, despite of the actions of man. And God orchestrates history to bring about his purpose. God orchestrates history to bring about his will. And God orchestrates history to bring about his plans for the world. And look at this chart just one more time and just see the complexities of what God does. Assyria judges Israel. Babylon judges Assyria for judging Israel. 
Babylon judges Judah. Persia judges Babylon for judging Judah. Persia, we'll see, is used to send Judah back home. Greece conquers Persia at the hands of Alexander the Great. Rome conquers Greece. Rome goes full circle. Rome goes to Judah and doesn't exile the people from there, but they occupy it. And then, in God's scheme of history, God the Father judges his own son for the sins of the entire world by using the people of Judah and by using the Roman Empire to put him to death. But there's a twist in the story. The Son of God defeats death. And because of that, Rome judges Judah for killing Jesus, even though they were in on it too. God uses him to judge Judah by destroying the temple all over again, 600 years later. And it's never been rebuilt. But then the Son of God defeats Rome. Not with a sword, but as a mustard seed who grows into a great plant and overtakes the entire empire. And we, we can question about some of the validity of the Roman Empire's conversion to Christianity, but from a historical standpoint, Jesus conquers Rome through the gospel. And then Christianity spreads throughout the entire world through Rome. Doesn't it make sense to you? Doesn't to me. See, Daniel, as he prepares to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, we'll talk about it in two weeks. But in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says this to three guys you may have heard of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not the real names, by the way. We'll learn the real names next week. It says, Daniel answered, and he said in Daniel 2, verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, because to God belong wisdom and might. Here's the key. God changes times. God changes seasons. God removes kings. God sets up kings. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Do you know who put Reagan and Bush and Clinton and Bush and Obama and Trump and... Um, it's okay to say that word in Oregon, okay. And, and also put Joe Biden in the White House. Do you know who did it? Not that, yo, all of them. All of them. God does it. But we vote, and God does it. But how does that? I don't know. That's not fair. Take it up with God. (laughs) 
So a couple hundred years before Babylon was ever the world power, a couple hundred years before Babylon overtook Assyria, and a couple hundred years before Babylon ever thought about taking over Judah and exiling them, God says this through a prophet named Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 8 through 11. God says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And here's what he says. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Ironic, because he's talking about the judgment of Babylon centuries before it happens. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a faraway country. I love this. God says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Here's how we land this plane today. God is orchestrating history. God is orchestrating his very plan of salvation. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that Romans 5 tells us that at just the right time, at the fullness of time, God sent his son. Galatians 4, 4, at just the right time, Jesus came. He's orchestrating his plan of salvation. In fact, Acts 17 says that God places each and every one of us at allotted time periods of history. And God places every child, every baby, every person, God places them in the boundaries where they live in. And Paul says, here's why he does it. He puts you in that time and place so that you have the greatest opportunity that you would ever have in all existence to know Jesus Christ. That means that that our associate pastor, Ladina Doherty, God allowed her to be raised up in Myrtle Point, Oregon. Yeah, I know, Nick, you're from there too. I'm sorry, man. But it's, it's a rough place. My wife, get this, Fall City, Oregon. She's proud of it too. God allows us to be brought up in these wild places and these wild times. Like, why did I live through COVID? Why did my grandfather live through World War II? Why did my great-great-grandfather live through World War I? Why did my great-great-great-grandfather live through the Civil War? It's so they would have the greatest opportunity they would ever have to know God. God orchestrates history. God orchestrates our very lives, Proverbs 16 says, the heart of man plans his way. How many of you got plans? Our plans were just like, yeah, this is where I'm going. God, I got my plans, but the Lord establishes his steps. No, I, I got my plans. And God's like, okay, you walk on your plans. Ugh, I orchestrate your steps. God will take us off the path of our plans and put us into the steps that he orchestrated from us. And I just want you to know, that's not fun. It's not comfortable. I just know that when I'm following Jesus, it's going to be gumdrops and lollipops and rainbows and unicorns, and I'm going to live my best life now, and my teeth are going to be whiter than they've ever... No, they're not! It's going to be rough. Our worst decisions can't stop the plans of God. 
God will even use our rebellion to advance his will. That's a hard thing. But just as he used Assyria's evil to bring righteous judgment on Israel's evil, only to judge them for doing it using the evil empire of Babylon... But even in this, even though God does this, you and I still make conscious decisions. You and I choose to take action or not. You and I decide whether to submit to God or to reject him. You and I are responsible for the words that come out of our mouth. You and I control the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And though God is establishing our steps, and though God brings to pass what he has spoken, though God does what he purposes to do, we must choose whether we will take part in his will You and I must choose if we will take part and be a part of his plans in order to experience his good. Or we will choose to act apart from his will and ultimately suffer for it. And and just to drive this home, because I said it so fast you may have missed it. And it's cliche, but I think it sums this up pretty good. You can be a part of God's plans, or you can be a part from them. Do you, you understand? You can be a part of his plans, or you can be a part from them. God wants you and I to be a part. He doesn't want us to be a part. We choose. So, History is being orchestrated, yeah, but where are we in history? You see, God's orchestrating and driving history towards his divine destination. He's driving the bus. We go along for the ride, or we get left behind. And if, if you're on that bus, and if life doesn't go as you expected, if someone does you wrong, if we find ourselves exiled to Babylon at no fault of our own, I mean, Judah had a lot of fault, but I don't think kids like Daniel did. Even if we find ourselves there, God still orchestrates our lives. And God actually orchestrates the wrongdoing of others toward us for our good. He did it for a guy named Joseph in Egypt. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Decades later, as Joseph is the second in command in the land of Egypt, his brothers come before him for help, but he's got so much guy liner and makeup on as an Egyptian ruler that they don't recognize him, and he starts to cry, and his eyeliner starts to run down, and they're like, wait, is that you? And in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says this, hey, brothers, you guys meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we're going to see God's going to do the exact same thing for Daniel. 
People are going to do Daniel wrong. How wrong will they do him? They'll throw him in a den with lions. But we're going to see that God's going to use those lions for good. And he'll do it for you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means I can just do bad all I want and I'm going to get good. No, no, no. That's not what it means. It means that others can do all sorts of bad to you and God will work it out for your good. It means you could suffer from cancer or loss or illness or despair and God's going to work it for your good. It means that even the horrible things we've done in our past, if we would turn to Jesus and choose to be a part of what he's doing, he'll use all that for our good too. But you don't know my past. I don't want to. God knows it and he forgave it. And he wants to move you on from your past into the future because he's orchestrating your history. And in Jesus Christ, your past doesn't matter. Instead, your relationship with him now is what matters and where he's leading you, that is what matters. So let's wrap this up, and Kim will come and close this with a song. God orchestrated history with and despite the actions of dictators, global superpowers, his chosen people, and a teenager named Daniel. And he did it to bring about his will for Judah, for the Israelites his coming son, for you, for me, and even a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible makes it explicitly clear that Nebuchadnezzar himself, who slaughtered thousands of the people of Judah, had a real transformational converting faith to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And I will be shocked if I don't meet Nebuchadnezzar someday, because I think he's there in paradise with Jesus. Isn't that weird? You go like, hey, Jesus, I've been waiting to meet you. Hey, I want, I want to meet the apostle Peter. I want to meet Noah. And God's like, meet my servant Nebuchadnezzar. You're like, what the heck? Like, is he still wearing a crown? No, he laid it down at the feet of Jesus. So I just know this. And, and if you look, I want you to see this for what it is, guys. In the 1990s, there was a man by the name of Saddam Hussein. You may have heard of him. And he lived in Shinar. He lived in Iraq. And do you know what he called himself? Nebuchadnezzar. He declared himself to be the, Nebuch the next Nebuchadnezzar, and he began to build a new city of Babylon. But for some wild reason, God uses this country, America, to go and judge him for, we don't know, we're not God. And then God strangely judges us by events and people out of that same region. And the history just keeps going, and we can't fully understand the will of God. But I've got to trust and know that God's in command. God's in charge. He's orchestrating history. 
He's driving history towards his divine destination. And he's driving it despite the actions of man. And the actions of man cannot stop where God is taking history. And we can join with him and we can be a part or we can rebel against him and be apart from him. Where will you be? I don't know why the world is as it is. But I know God's in control. I know God works all things together for the counsel of his will. And because of that, I say it with fear and trepidation. Because of that, I can trust him. It's actually a fearful thing to say that. I trust you. Because you've got voices in your head that are saying, but what about? I trust him. I may not want to trust him. I may not feel like I trust him. Sometimes I fail at trusting him. But I trust him. He's all I've got. So let this verse be the verse for this series, Ephesians 1, verse 11. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and by proxy, the Spirit is speaking to us through this word. It says, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Pastor, are you saying that God predestines those who are saved? Or are you saying that, that we choose whether or not to be a part of his plans by putting his trust in Jesus? Does he predestine us or do we choose him? Here's the answer. Yes. Yeah. But it, I don't know. I'm not the one orchestrating history. I don't need to know. I don't know why God judges an empire for doing what he used them to do. But I know he's God, and God does whatever God wants to do because he's God, and who am I to question what he does? There's a whole book about that. It's called Job. I don't get it. And so when I start asking questions, God says to me as I read through Job, Anthony, were you there when I made the stars? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when, wait, God, what is all this weird thing about animals? And I just wasn't there, okay? I don't know. I wasn't there. But I trust you. I trust you. I don't get it. But you're the only one I want to get. I just want you. I don't know what you do, but I, I want you. I trust you. I want to be a part. I want my life to work according to the counsel of God's will. And I want to invite others to be a part of the history that God's creating. We often talk about, you know, be on the right side of history, and I get that. But if you really boil it down, we have two choices. We either can be a part of history, or we can be a part of the judgment. Those are our choices. We follow Jesus Christ and be a part of his story, history that he's making, or we are a part of the judgment for rebelling 
against him and telling him, I don't trust you. And guys like Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they are a part. But how many people would the world's eyes say, look at that religious person, look at all the great things they did, but maybe they never actually trust him. So drop the show, drop the games. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Are you pretending and coming to church because it's the right thing to do, or do you trust God? And if you're here to pretend or to, to look like this, just, just this is a waste of time. You trust him or you don't. You're a part of what he's doing or you're apart from it. Choose to be a part. Would you um, bow your heads as we close in prayer and start to sing? I want you to watch the events of the news this week. I want you to watch the affairs of man this week. And there's a stage that will take place today called the Super Bowl. Pay attention to what's going on. We, we shouldn't be shocked when people dress up as the devil and have demons worship them in sex acts at the Grammys. Because it's the same evil that's been going on for millennia. It's the same battle. It's, it's the devil wanting glory. It's the devil showing off his pride, the same pride that made empires fall. But watch as the world plays out in front of you. God sends a balloon from China. <laughs> God uses a jet to pop it. I don't know why, but just watch and watch and just know as you watch, that sure is stupid. A balloon. But there's a reason. Like, we don't get to make the call. God's orchestrating it. And we're choosing what it is and how it is we want to be a part of what he's doing. And while the world is yelling about the devil performance at the Grammys or the Super Bowl game today or the balloon that got popped, keep your eyes, keep your words focused on Jesus and let Jesus do the work in people's hearts because Jesus is who people need to know. And there's a lot of hell and chaos and craziness going around around us. But I know that God controls history, and I trust him. That's what counts. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it applies to us 2,600 years later. And God, when we choose to be a part of what you're doing and submit our lives to you in 2,600 years from now, we will still be praising your name. Let us be a part of history and not a part of the judgment. Let us put our trust in you. Um, church, Jesus loves you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again. He wants your sins to be forgiven. He wants you to have a relationship with God. He wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you everlasting life. He wants to give you life and life to the full. And it is received only, 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 only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can only obtain that by just simply putting your trust in him and him alone. It's just him. Trust him. 
And you don't have to have all the answers to your questions or your life figured out or your plans in order because God's going to mess your plans up. You just need to know that Jesus is the only thing you've got. He's your only hope in this world. And he wants you to be a part of his will. Just submit to him. Submit to him. Fall into his arms. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. And though the world and people and our own selves will let ourselves down, God will never let you down. Hold on tight and trust him. It's worth it. Trust him. It's worth it. So God, let us put our trust in you in Jesus' name. Would you stand? And as we sing, we'll have some leaders up to the side that would love to pray for you today. Don't leave without receiving prayer if you want that today. We'll be here after the service to pray for you also. And... Um, We'll have Tim or Kara dismiss you here in a minute, and I am looking forward to seeing you next week. We're going to talk about the Daniel fast. Get ready to eat beans next week. I'm kidding.